In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hello, and welcome back to Soft Black Woman, presented by The Butchess Up. I'm your host, Dr. Akila Kaday, and each and every Friday on Soft Black Woman, we'll be talking about a range of topics, from pop culture to politics to how we live our lives, obviously through the lens of intersectionality. Each and every week on Soft Black Woman, I'll be joined by a different guest, co-host, and that person will help me break down stories, and that person is Nell Diamond. My bestie, founder and CEO of Hill House Home, the Zeitgeist Viral Nap Dress, which I have on right now, the Aquila Nap Dress, mogul, entrepreneur, empire builder, mom of three. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, let's keep going. I'm loving this. (laughs) I'm creator of twins. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Welcome, Nell. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is so fun. I'm so happy to have you here too. Okay. So for the world to know, Nell is still a client of mine and Mm -hmm. obviously bestie and friend, but I really feel, and Nell has heard this a million times, it's because she had twins in her at the moment and Mm -hmm. I'm a twin and that's how I got the gig. That was was it. That's all I needed. (laughs) Yeah. I remember like where I was sitting when I first started talking to you. We talked on Zoom during COVID. It was like crazy you know, height of COVID, or I guess very beginning of the height of COVID. And I was like, super pregnant with the twins. And you were like, I have a twin sister. I'm a twin. This is special. And we were like, this is special. (laughs) So special. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what's happening with the nap dress. I was not cool. And I looked you up and I was like, oh, she created the wedding hashtag. She's a big deal. (laughs) These dresses look kind of cool. And then fast forward one day on Instagram while you were pregnant, you named a dress after me, but forgot to tell me. Yeah, I forgot to tell you. Yeah. It's so cool to have an Aquila nap dress that I'm wearing right now. I'll put off my shoulders because we're going to get into it, which is one happy early birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Can't believe it. Next week, Leo season. Leo season. That's why you have such great hair. But we're going to talk about <laughs> hashtag hot strike summer, Carly Russell and Jason Aldean's try that in a small town. Obviously, you know, I'm going to talk about that today. So uh, our first segment is for the culture. It's a part of the show where we examine some of the top trending pop culture and media headlines. And our first subject for today is hashtag hot strike summer. So Brittany Packnett, brought up this fantastic hashtag of hot strike summer. And we are in a position where we not only have writers on strike, we now have actors on strike, there's hotels on strike, there's health systems on strike, UPS is testing a strike that may be a larger strike for Teamsters. Striking is happening. What are your thoughts about the how and why we have so many strikes happening right now? 
Well, so I'm in I'm on Nantucket Island right now, where you came to visit me last year. Um, yes, you know, tiny little island, thirty miles out to sea, and I was excited to see that there were people picketing downtown the other day, uh, SAG members, and so that I thought that was really cool. I think it's great, and I'm particularly interested in the kind of ripple effects this has for like the larger creator economy, right? So you know, influencers who aren't necessarily part of a union but want to support the strike. So I think it's it's going to be interesting mm-hmm. to watch. Yeah. And, and a lot of people really are, are leaning into their own accountability of what does this mean for me for supportive industries? You mentioned influencers. You're kind of a big deal as an influencer. <laughs> <laughs> the term we both are not fans of, but we are influencers. It happens. But there's ways to show solidarity by being aware, educating people of what's happening, if you aren't able to go out and strike with individuals, what are you sharing in your stories? What are you sharing in feed? How are you educating your followers about what's happening? Because it's more than just, you know, writers and actors that are on strike. It's more of a people are fed up. People are frustrated that you have these CEOs and executives that are making so much money and saying we're turning, you know, over profit or we have to let people go or we don't have to let people go, but they're rolling a dough with seven-figure salaries, seven-figure bonuses, if not more. And there's hourly workers who are asking for, I don't know, more than pennies on streaming, more than just an hourly rate to pack up your package and <laughs> send it to you or or provide hospitality to you. It's a real shift that I think has has been stewing during the pandemic in which there were people who were making the same amount, if not as much money when they were getting pandemic assistance. Right. And people were sitting in their value and worth or what's needed. And people were going back into workspaces like, is this really what I want to do? Is this really what I want to deserve? Not to mention seeing people, in particular these executives, profit off of the pandemic too. Yeah, from an economic perspective, it's interesting because I know that, you know, the Great Resignation has been such a topic on everybody's minds over the past couple of years. But, you know, unemployment numbers have really come down. And so I think this is like an interesting contrast to that, right? Like all these strikes happening when the I was just listening to the Economist podcast a couple of days ago, and they were saying, you know, things are working in employers favor right now, right? Like, you know, it's people are being asked to come back to the office. And I think it's an interesting contrast. You know, it really is. I think hybrid work environments are great. I just want to acknowledge that they have a lot of value for people who live with chronic illness and disability. You know, I think it's so interesting because, as you know, Hill House right now is all women. And many, (laughs) many of the leaders (laughs) on the executive team have young kids or are pregnant or are at a stage in their life where they're caretakers. And it's just been fascinating because I've seen firsthand how hybrid work has made it possible to do both of those things at once. And, and I've known forever, right? Like you don't have to sacrifice, you know, your ambition and how hard you work in order when you're also a caretaker, particularly kind of like a high stakes caretaker, which you are when you have young kids. But it's just been incredible to see how how many people I work with have been able to manage that in a more realistic way for them. And I really hope that, you know, as unemployment shifts and as, you know, looming recession and all of these things, I hope that hybrid work doesn't go away because I think what we will hopefully see in the next 20 years is a whole generation of women who were able to stay in the workforce through their, you know, kind of young child rearing years. 
um, as opposed to having to leave the workforce and then re-enter the workforce, which obviously puts them back significantly um, in terms of promotions and pay and all of these things. So I'm very optimistic about hybrid work. I've also seen as the CEO, I've also seen that it does not have an impact in productivity. If anything, people are more productive and retention is easier because you're not as burned out, right? And it's something as simple as, you know, if on a Friday you're working from home, you literally can like put the laundry in the machine, like in between your Zoom calls. And instead of coming home at like 7 p.m. harried, and then like instead of watching your Netflix show, you have to go deal with the laundry. And that's just a huge quality of life piece. So I'm I'm really hopeful that hybrid work continues. I still, and I think hybrid is the key. Like I really love in-person work, love, but I think it's got to be a hybrid in order to make it work for women. Absolutely. Hybrid is a value. My team is completely remote. We work all over the place, but we get together once a year and we just have fun. So we're able to have a connection, but certain industries, it makes sense to come together. And, And you're one of those things. So if you're looking at samples for the next drop or next season, you have to feel it. You have to see how it falls. You have to touch it. You have to see it on, you know, different bodies. And it's easier to do as a group to have that collective discussion. Mm-hmm. Plus, I've been to Hill House Home Central, and it is a fantastic <laughs> office. People are happy, um, and that's a testament to your your leadership there. They're able to see you role model self care. They're able to, you know, work remotely on Friday. Maybe go to a doctor's appointment, do the laundry mm-hmm. like you said, and then they have a softer weekend to go into. I love that. Softer. That's so nice. Yeah. That's why we're here. So with these hybrid environments, a a lot of it is also stemming from activism. A lot of this activism has happened from disabled folks to have these hybrid environments. Unfortunately, it happened because of non-disabled people. But keeping it there has been something that's been really interesting to see. I think it's that activism that also comes from what I call the summer of allyship, where we had the murder of George Floyd, we're in this pandemic, we have to sit in thoughts and feelings and think about how do we want to show up in the world? And what do we need to show up in the world? Part of that is also having a younger workforce who wants to be actionable. They want to make sure things are fair and equitable. The Economic Policy Institute showed that from 1979 to 2020, net productivity rose 61.8%. While hourly pay of typical workers grew far slower, increasing to 17.5%. So what we're seeing is younger workers who are taking more action to show up and make sure that everyone is getting fair pay and everything is equitable. Just thinking about Bob Iger with Disney. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you heard what happened there. So he approved additional uh, pay for executives. Meanwhile, the strike is happening. So increase in pay, increase in pay. And we're striking, right? So we're seeing these things where people are not feeling valued and they're saying, hey, we want to be valued and we deserve more and we deserve better. So we'll see what happens with hot strike summer. I think there's more to come. I really feel people won't be able to get their packages anytime soon. And I think that's great. (laughs) And uh, I don't know. I look forward to the change that's going to happen here. 
Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Now, the moment everyone's been talking about is Carly Russell. So for those of you who don't know, Carly Russell was reported missing. She was missing for about 48, 49 hours. She was driving home from work after getting food for her mom. And she called 911 and reported a toddler walking on an interstate. They found her car on the side of the road. The engine was running. There was a cell phone, a a wig that was there and she was missing. She also, after calling 911 and reporting the toddler, called her boyfriend's sister, brother's I think it was brother's, brother's girlfriend. girlfriend. Yeah. And said that she saw this toddler and then she kind of just like disappeared. So that person reported hearing, you know, just background noise and silence. Everyone was worried and concerned. And what had happened, which I think is quite incredible, is that in within that 24-hour news cycle, uh, we had CNN talking about this missing black woman. And it's important to note that missing black women and children typically don't make national news. Right. Um, it's, oh, it's a whole thing. But it was 
beautiful and powerful to see media outlets, main powerful, large outlets talking about this missing black woman um, to find her. And then she showed up at her door, her parents' door, where she also lives 48, 49 hours later, taken to the hospital. She's having some breathing issues. Now here's where things get a little interesting. So police have done and are doing an investigation. And in her cell phone, things popped up that were interesting. So she searched terms like, do you have to pay for an Amber Alert? How do you take money from a register without being caught? She searched for bus tickets from Birmingham, 10 miles from where she is to Nashville. The departure date was July 13th. So the time around that time, she also searched Taken, the movie that talks about like being taken. And so things are a little unclear with what happened in those 48 hours. What are your thoughts? How do I know it was her making those searches? Like if she was theoretically kidnapped, like anybody else could have been making those searches. Because the phone was left in the car. Oh, okay. So yeah. before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. I, I was reading I was reading one of the pieces you you sent me before this and you know, I just think I really like thought that the piece that said, you know, she doesn't owe us an explanation mm-hmm. was important because I think in our culture of like true crime and like like this crazy like commodification of like people's stories, we like want that instant gratification of like, okay, it's like even with, you know, the Titanic submarine, like everybody wanted to know immediately. Everybody's like so hooked to it, like it's a Netflix show. And I think sometimes that takes the humanity out of it, you know, like she doesn't owe us an explanation. You know, it's, it's obviously like a, a current investigation and right. yeah. So I think we have to be like patient with her boundaries and you know, what will be shared with us. I'm happy she's safe. I'm happy she's safe too. And you are absolutely right. I think what people are going to do and what I'm concerned about is they're going to go back into the narrative to not believe black women. Right. And it's important to believe black women, regardless of what the outcome is. The message here is that it's possible to provide the resources and the media attention that's needed to find someone. Right. And that's what should still continue. I don't think she owes us anything either. I I believe in accountability for whatever that looks like. And that should happen for figuring out what happened, not figuring out what happening or, you know, whatever, whatever the thing may be. Sure. But the simple fact is she's alive. She's found. She's able to get whatever support she needs from her family or otherwise. And that is what's needed. And that's what should be the forefront of this whole story. Mm -hmm. I fear people are going to continue stereotypes and tropes about black women and not value our lives. Right. Right. And as much as I would like to think that people would say like, this is an example on how we can do better to support black women and missing children. I think we're going to go back, unfortunately, to that other narrative because it's just, it's just tough. Yeah. Another interesting thing that came up that may have not made it so prevalent in people's news cycle is that Texas A&M interim dean resigned after the university backtracked on hiring a professor, a black professor, to revive the journalism program. Mm -hmm. So uh, Professor Kathleen McElroy publicly signed her offer letter on June 
13th. Everyone is excited. She's coming to revitalize this journalism program. And she went there, right? Like she's like an icon alum. She went there. She graduated in 1981. She's an mm-hmm. alum. Also, her father is a big time uh, journalist as well. So she like journalism is in her blood. Um, she's also the director of the University of Texas at Austin School of Journalism right. for a few years. But she ended up walking away from the job because shit got wild. Mm-hmm. So the first version she signed publicly and it showed that the university offered her tenure. So a tenure track in the Department of Communication and Journalism. And the sole purpose was to be the program director to revive the journalism program. Now, word got out in Texas about that. And basically, white people were upset. So then there was backlash. So McElroy agreed to a second offer that amounted to a five-year contract position without tenure. Now, it's important to note tenure is something that provides job stability, status, <laughs> nobility. It helps you with your career. And so it's a big decision to remove that aspect, but you still have job security with a five-year contract. Then people are still upset about that. So then a third offer was given to McElroy, which she rejected, which was a one-year contract. And it emphasized that she could be terminated at any moment in time, like WTF. What type of job security is that? Now, it's important to note that Texas recently signed legislation that outlaws DEI programs at state-funded schools. Texas A&M is a state-funded school. This is literally the outcome of what Abbott wanted with these types of programs. And we're seeing it in a decision where the school's like, we need to revitalize our program. We're going to bring in someone who is top tier to it amounting down to her being a black woman and not wanting to have someone in that position telling stories, teaching people how to tell stories through journalism. Like, isn't this wild? Wild. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think people hide behind these like buzzwords that they say are like bad. You know, it's like, it's, I find it just really depressing that suddenly like people can stand up and say, oh yeah, like she's really into DEI and that's bad. You know, it's like they're, it's, it's just depressing. I don't know how it happens. And it's, it's absolutely depressing. I mean, it is so incredibly frustrating that when we're saying we don't want DEI, so diversity, equity, inclusion, sometimes belonging, it's like acronym soup. And we don't want these programs. It directly impacts someone like me, a BIPOC, Black Indigenous person of color, a Black person, a woman, a disabled person, it affects me. We're not able to, we're going backwards in the sense that we're not able to have someone who could be leading a program, who could be motivating and inspiring people who are oppressed or not part of the dominant culture to lead the way of how stories are being told. And so it's more than just the journalism program. It's just who's coming, who would graduate from this journalism program, who would have that experience from her, who would go on to tell these stories that are already so fractioned. Also, I don't know if you know this, the Florida State Board of Education approved new rules yesterday about how history is taught in Florida. And they updated the standards about enslaved people by saying enslaved people develop skills that could be applied for their personal benefit. No. Mm -hmm. And that in teaching about mob violence against black residents, so think Tulsa, instructors should note acts of violence 
perpetuated against and by African Americans. And I wish I was kidding. Wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, the interesting thing is, I think a lot of these like opponents, right, the opponents at Texas A&M who are saying like, oh, we don't want DEIB to be taught in our schools. I don't think they have any sense of what DEIB actually is. And if they did, mm -hmm. they would understand it's it's like such an incredible gift to everybody who goes to the school. So I, that, that's actually what like gets me really frustrated, like as a you know, very privileged white person who, who like would be welcome in a room with those people who like are against DEIB. I truly think that they've like built it into something that doesn't even exist. Right. Like, and that's just so, that's what gets me yeah. so depressed. I'm like, I don't think you understand what you're fighting for. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit. It's also history. So you can't change history. It's like factual stuff. Enslaved people weren't in a program to enrich their skills to further be developed, <laughs> you yeah. know, in a trade. That's, that's not it. Like my ancestors were oppressed, beaten, murdered, maimed, and provided free labor to build the country. That's that you have to tell the, the truth about that. That is yeah. the reality. So we don't make those mistakes moving forward, but here we are in the situation. I think the other note, people, view DEI as performative or as a waste of money for those who don't want to do the work. For those who do want to do the work, there is a value add to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. You're able right. to diversify your workforce, think about your partners, um, think about how you show up. I mean, now you're a wonderful example. Hill House Home is a wonderful example. If you go to Instagram, or the website, you're going to see different sizes, different colors, different hair textures. You're going to see diversity within the content that you're providing, the images that you're providing. If you don't know, uh, Hill House Home has four years before the murder of George Floyd, has annually given money to Black birthing, Black maternal health organizations that support moms. And that was a choice before people thought it was cool and sexy or really reactive to what's happening. And so you are someone who gets upset about this because you value DEI and you also acknowledge your privilege of what you have. You are a very privileged, very beautiful white woman who has a lot of very power. Very white, very white. <laughs> but a lot of power and a lot of access. And you're like, okay, well, I have this privilege. I can educate people. I can put money here. I can show other companies how they can show up with making sure their actions and words match with diversity. So here we are in a world that uh, keeps on wanting to erase my value, my existence and my history, although it's painful. And the truth, the truth. It's the truth. You want to erase yeah. the truth. They want to erase the truth. Exactly. Quick question. Are you going to see the Barbie movie? I am excited to. Yeah, I really want to see it. I actually think so. I'm going to be in Nantucket like another week. And I think it's there's like one theater in town. I think it's showing here. And I want to go with my six year old Henry. But I mean, come on. It's like I, I, I I'm like Barbie. I love Barbie. I I also am, am very excited about the Barbie movie. I am proud to say that during the summers, um, when I was a kid, my twin and I would convert the guest room into a Barbie world. Love. And so <laughs> since my twin is an architect, obviously she would create the design. We'd take cardboard <laughs> boxes and make like literal apartments and homes. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. 
Mm-hmm. One of my proud moments is making a Barbie pizza in which you take brown uh, packing tape, cut it into a circle, and then I am older. So newspaper, we would always get the newspaper every day and the rubber bands were red or green and we'd save them and cut them up to make like, you know, toppings for the pizza. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so cute. <laughs> and so, so I am a Barbie fan. I will say though, Ken and our Barbie world was a slut whore because we only had two of them and we had like 20 different Barbies. So he had to make his round. He went around. Yeah. He went around. He had to make everyone happy. He had lots of different relationships. You know, he made babies with lots of, uh, lots of Barbies. Did you ever have the life-size Barbie? No, I didn't. I did not. I had friends who had the life-size Barbie though. Yeah. I was very into life-size Barbie and I, I feel like I've told you this before, but like when, when we lived in Japan, when I was like probably Henry's age, like five-ish, the life-size Barbie, I wore her shoes and like her little tutu like every day. I wouldn't take them off. I was like so emotionally no attached to them. And I think that's like when my mom and dad like started realizing like, oh, I'm like this girl on clothes, this is this, a thing. This is a, <laughs> this is a thing. One of the reasons I've always loved Barbie is I don't think that like, you know, traditional archetypal femininity of the pink and glitter and heels should be equated with weakness the way that it often is. It can be equated with softness, um, you know, the way that you talk about, but it's not necessarily weakness. And I love, love tapping into that side of myself. So I like I like the idea. I'm excited to see the movie. I like Greta Gerwig. So I, I'm excited to see her interpretation of it. I like Greta Gerwig too. I will say when I first learned about your brand, I was like, I don't know if I'm like feminine enough to wear a nap dress because I have sneakers, I have the fashions, I do all the things, but I'm like, I don't know if I'm, if I'm that like soft. And then I bought my first nap dress and I was like, I get it. Well, this is why it's so important to show diversity of body size, background, you know, looks, and then aesthetic. Like that's a big thing too. Like back in the early days of Hill House, I was like, no, I don't want everyone to think like the right way to, way to wear this stuff is the way that Nell wears it. Cause I have such a particular look and I'm just working with what I got. Like <laughs> I, this is, this is what happened and I'm figuring Legs it out. Days. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I, I want people to like understand that, you know, even if, you're somebody who like like Doc Martens and a leather jacket, like you can make our product your own and still like enjoy that softness and comfort and, you know, femininity and in, in your own way and whatever like spectrum you want to exist of, you know, femininity. So I, I love, I love that you tried it. And that's been one of my favorite parts of this journey is people who like come in and they're like, ah, I'm not like a super girly dresser. Like that's not really my aesthetic. And then they try it and they realize like, oh my gosh, this is so comfortable. I feel like me, I feel great. And they make it their own. And I get inspired because also like it's fun to be a little bit of a fashion chameleon. I don't want to look the same every day. Yeah. I think it's like the rebel in me a little bit, which is like a very, a very soft rebel. I'm like the least rebellious <laughs> person ever. And also a very big closet. Yeah. <laughs> like the same every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just like to, you know, I like to like, you know, I like that contrast. I like to. Oh, totally. A little bit. You know me, I will throw a biker jacket on any nap dress, any moment in time. There's so many ways to play with your clothes. Also, there is like a Barbie core collection. Beautiful pinks. Yeah, we got a lot of pinks. <laughs> we got a lot of pinks, which we, you know, certainly didn't like plan. <laughs> we just happened to have a lot of pinks. Pink just is one of our best colors. So we, yeah. we know what you're going to wear to see Barbie. Yeah. So now it's time for Twice as Hard. 
while BIPOC, Black, Indigenous people of color often have to work twice as hard to get half as far, this segment highlights conversations or an eye-opening moment for BIPOC individuals in culture or politics. So the one thing that we want to talk about is there's this swim cap called Soul Cap that recently got approved oh, yeah. um, to be the biggest, like, uh, to be approved for like professional swim competitions. So right. it's approved for people who have more hair or thicker hair or like all this hair on top of my head to wear a swim cap that can actually hold their hair. There was so much pressure from different industries. There was a whole bunch of hoopla for the, the past summer Olympics for those who did wear it and whether or not it was regulation size. But for Black people, BIPOC people to swim, it's a whole thing. Swimming right. and water, there's all these stereotypes about, you know, black people and swimming and then their hair and all this other stuff. So a cap was designed to minimize that barrier for people who wanted to swim. And then right. it was a whole issue to have a cap that would work that meets regulatory standards to swim because why? Why should they have a cap? Part of me feels like, well, if they have a cap, then maybe there's more you know, black people or BIPOC people who will be competing against, I don't know, white folks. But I just find the whole thing to be, well, twice as hard, but also incredibly frustrating. A yeah. barrier was eliminated. I mean, no, you have so much freaking hair, beautiful, <laughs> glorious hair. It's I not going to fit in a regular swim cap, you know? No. no. And and I really, I reject the idea that like you have to like strip yourself of your personhood in order to like compete at high levels. So I really loved that story. I thought um, it's great that that's going to be approved. It, it is, right? It is going to be approved now. It's approved. Right? Okay. Yeah. It's approved. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. I loved that idea because the, you know, like theoretically it's this, it's this sense of like, okay, well, anyone could just like cut their hair shorter or do this or do that. But like, why should you have to strip yourself of, you know, who you are and what makes you feel good in order to compete? So it feels like progress. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many viral videos that show people who have locks or dreadlocks who have to cut the locks before they compete in a wrestling competition. Right. Because, because why? Like, would you do that to someone who had a man bun with straight hair who had additional yeah. hair what's what makes a difference with someone who has locks that's an you know a ponytail or mm -hmm. a bun um so twice as hard but we did it joe black and bipoc people can swim Woo, that's done i don't know if this is the moment we've all been waiting for but it is for me uh we have a segment called sounds about white and it's a part of the show <laughs> where we highlight a news story featuring the latest in white privilege. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of this episode, it's about Jason Aldean and his song that recently, well, the song came out in May, but the video came out a few days ago for Try That in a Small Town. Have you listened to the song or? I mean, so, yeah, you, you sent it to me and so I listened to it, but I had never Never heard it before or heard of it. And and that's how it, that's how it should stay. But the, <laughs> <laughs> the way racism uh, pro gun violence works is that now it's part of the, the zeitgeist. So for those of you who don't know, this song has lyrics like sucker punch somebody on a sidewalk, carjack an old lady at a red light. 
pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. Yeah, think it's cool? Well, act a fool if you like. Cuss out a cop, spit in his face, stomp on the flag, and light it up. Yeah, you think that's tough? We'll try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. Around here, we take care of our own. Our own. You cross that. Our own. Our own. You know what he means by that. We do. You cross that line and it won't take long for you to find out. I recommend you don't. Now, let's unpack. Let's unpack this. Our town. Tell us more. I mean, this is a really... coded (laughs) this is a really coded video and really coded lyrics and it's very upsetting and threatening i I could i actually couldn't believe it when i because i've never even heard of this guy and when i was reading it i literally can't believe that this is out there sounds like cmt actually removed the video because it was so offensive but i mean this is like overtly threatening and it's like it's it's really freaky it really freaks me out yeah shout out to activists gun prevention activist and my friend Shannon Watts for bringing attention to the song and being one of the individuals who got CMT, uh, country music, television, CMT, to take the video down. Also, shout out to Cheryl Crow for saying something about it and how it's horrible. And for people who were willing to go and dissect the the video and the song, there's great pieces in uh, like the Washington Post that analyze uh, the, the video. It says good old boys. He says good old boys in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So good old boys. Um, that is a nod to uh, racism. Um, <laughs> it's a nod to KKK movements. It's a nod to. So when he says, see how far you make it down the road, that's mm-hmm. a nod to lynching in sundown towns that's a lot mm-hmm. a, a nod to maiming black people in sundown towns. sundown town still exists to this day where they don't want black people around and there's still warnings to not drive through the town at night it's 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 incredibly disgusting but what makes this whole thing worse is that the video was filmed at maury country courthouse in columbia tennessee And this courthouse is where a mob dragged Henry Choate, an 18-year-old black man, down the street, insert all the violence there, and lynched him in front of this very building, which is a courthouse, in 1927. So Henry was accused of harming a white woman, which is the story of pretty much the majority of lynchings. Right. He was in jail and he was trying to save his life. And he's like, okay, you know, like, you know, I did it, but he didn't do it. He thought it would save his life. And so at 18, he lost his life. And in this very courthouse where Jason Aldean is performing with his band, he has the American flag where Henry once was, where he was, his body was hanging. And they left the rope up for days. Like it's, it's this, this courthouse is known for this. There are a gabillion courthouses in the United States of America, and they're trying to say like it was the you know the director or you know whomever, someone on the team who who did the location, found the location. But like you said, now this is so calculated and so coded that this is intentional in design. Yeah. Yeah, it's there's also that like city versus country type thing, like yeah. the 
and I, I get that sometimes like living in New York city and like raising my kids there, like people, I think people have like a, a skewed vision of what they think happens in places like New York city. Like I had somebody at a playground once, like she was like visiting. It was like some, like a friend of a friend, like an acquaintance. And she was like at the playground with her kids. And like my kids were like running around. This is like, you know, in the middle of New York city. And she just launched in this whole thing about how she could never raise her kids in New York City because it's so unsafe and like saying all this coded stuff. And I was like, girl, like you're I'm here with my kids. You know, I live here. Like, what is it? It's like this funny, weird thing. People are like showing they're showing who they are. Right. They're showing their racism and classism and everything. Totally. And like, you're absolutely right. Like Jason Aldean is from, I think, Macon, Georgia. That's not a small town. (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know but it's giving people who relate with that small town backwards sundowner town energy it's giving them a song and an anthem Mm -hmm. so in the video he also has images of actual protests black lives matter protests these are real things people are upset because lives are being (laughs) taken from us people are being murdered people are angry. People are upset. These are real feelings and emotions. And he's using it as like, hey, well, if you try that in a small town, it can't happen. Because if you were to spit in a cop's face or whatever these lyrics say, we would find our guns. That was given to me by my granddaddy. Granddaddy's Mm -hmm. gun. That's one of the lyrics too. And we basically shoot you. If I mean, definitely threaten violence at best. But Mm -hmm. shoot or kill, murder you. If not, lunch you. Mm-hmm. So obviously Aldean is going out and he's like, I'm going to tweet about it, that the the song is about a feeling of community. <laughs> we all know which it's type important. of community he wants. Exactly. So <laughs> Aldean is openly MAGA and he shares that and um, and one of his tweets, my political views have never been something I've hidden from. And I know a lot of us in this country don't agree on how we get back to a sense of normalcy. So a sense of normalcy, if, if, if no one is picking up what I'm putting down, is back to prior to 1865. It's back to the Make America Great Again vibes where people are intentionally oppressed, people have less value. I don't know if it necessarily means going back to enslavement, but it's definitely does mean Jim Crow times for me. So, you know, Jason Aldean, uh, you're trash. Just want to put that out there. Also want to highlight the fact that his band members are also part of it too, singing the song and the video and in the background. And if you are a Jason Aldean fan, you really have to think about how you're showing up in this world with a song like this. Maybe like the songs prior to this, but you really have to think about how you're showing up uh, moving forward because streaming his song, buying his album, going to the concerts, it is supporting what has been very clear in this song, which is pro-gun violence and violence against black people. Trash. Literal trash. So we like to wrap things up with a soft black woman of the week where we highlight someone who's leaning into softness. This week, it's Crystal Dunn, and she is a soccer player. Um, she is also a 2019 Women World Cup champion. She plays for the NWSL uh, Portland Thorns. And today, World Cup starts, the Women's World Cup starts. It's being held in Australia and uh, New Zealand. So Crystal became a mom in 2022 
And she recently was interviewed talking about how it takes a village to raise a child. She knew that, and this quoted saying, having the reassurance of loving friends and a supportive work environment makes all the difference because you're not going to do it alone. She went back to training for soccer 112 days after she had her son. And she rejoiced when she scored her first goal as a mom with her son in the crowd. She doubted herself and didn't know if she'd be able to like get it back. But when she scored that first goal, she knew it was all there. So she talks about how it's important that moms are supported and professional athlete moms are supported and is a member of FIFPRO, so Federation Internationales de Associations de Footballers Professionals. Um, <laughs> so she's part of the whole, this large organization where she's making a sole purpose to support birthing individuals who have kids, birthing mothers, however they identify. And one thing that she's solely tasked on doing and wanting to champion is how that it's not only her now when she's playing soccer, when she travels for games, it is her kid. It's also her nanny. And so shout out to the Portland Thorns who support her. So she's able to have those necessities, but she realizes that those things are still viewed as a luxury to have a nanny and have support, but that also allows her to do her job. So shout out to Crystal for being soft. You as a mother of three fantastic kids, you have a support system, you're running a business, you do so many different things. How do you feel about this? I love it. I love it. She's an icon. I love all of her comments. I, I am totally inspired reading about her. I want to learn more. Yeah, no, I, I also was excited to learn about her too. And I think, and hopefully we can have more of this. There's been other soccer players who haven't had this much support, but I appreciate her role modeling, just how you're role modeling, how you are able to lead. So whenever I'm able to have a little baby who can wear a nap dress or shorts, however they identify, because of you, I know it's totally fine to have a support system. So thanks for sharing that with the world. Okay. Well, you have to tell people how they can find you. Okay. So you can find me on Instagram at Nellie Diamond. You can follow Hill House at Hill House. I guess you could also find us on threads and TikTok, same way. <laughs> yeah. And then if you're in places like New York, we have a store. We have a store in Rockefeller Center and hillhousehome.com. And a store in Nantucket. Yeah. And a store in Palm Beach. Palm Beach. <laughs> Charleston is coming up. Charleston's coming up in September. And we'll have a few other kind of exciting store announcements in the next maybe six months. And naturally, I'd have to say, buy the Aquila nap dress. It's great. Yeah, you can wear it on your shoulder, off your shoulder. It gives you all the vibes. And now it comes with pockets, which is sure so does. exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it for today's episode. Be sure to join the Soft Black Women Club by leaving us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify and follow the Betcha Sub podcast wherever you're listening. We'll have new episodes for Soft Black Women every single Friday and be sure to subscribe now so you don't miss out on our next episode. Follow me at Change Today, C-H-A-G-E-C-A-D-E-T and follow at Betches underscore news. Remember the handle has changed at Betches underscore news on Instagram and TikTok. Until next week, remember to tap into softness and to keep being amazing. Soft Black Woman is produced by Amanda Duberman, Rebecca Salzmacat, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Rebecca Salzmacat. 
Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails on SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.